I asked you earlier to take your Bibles to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 1, or Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. And uh, somebody out there knew I was going to mess that up. Y'all knew I was. So, But it's Ephesians 6, chapter 1. And as I told you, I'm going I'm to speak on this subject this morning, doing the right thing. Just doing the right thing. Now, Paul has moved into an area here now where uh, he's talking to a certain particular group of people. In fact, there's four people that he mentions in chapters chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. And I want to address those four groups of people, if I could, this morning. He has given all type of instruction to this point, to the church at Ephesus. And now he's moving into a little bit deeper things for some other people. And then next week, Walter's going to bring us the message that's going to tie everything that we've learned all together over the past 12 weeks What he is going to teach us next week is going to tie everything together, and the last piece of the puzzle will fit in. And if you've been listening and taking notes carefully, you will see how how great our God is and how great he was through the Apostle Paul who was doing the work of God and how good he was to the people of Ephesus when they were obedient and how good he is to us when we are obedient. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. If you found it, say amen. You should have had plenty of time. Say amen, and I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet in the honor of the reading of God's word this morning. And this is what we read. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And I know all the children are going, boy, this is not starting out good for me. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. In verse 7, he says, with good will render service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll teach us this morning what we have probably already known, what we've already been taught. And Father, it's a very simple message, but it it is worth being repeated It is worth knowing it all over again, Father. It is worth being reminded of these principles set forth for these four groups of people. Father, I believe that all four uh, groups of people we can identify with, Father. I believe that in some way, shape, or form, and I know that we all fit the category uh, of each group here, Father. We've all been a servant. We have all been a master. We've all been a parent. We've all been a child. So, Father, speak to our hearts this morning, not to just remind us of what we already know, but to encourage us to share this with younger Christians, younger mothers and younger fathers, younger people that are put in into positions of authority in the workplace, people that have been newly put into positions in the workplace that need to adhere to the authority that they answer to, Father. Let it be a reminder to us that we need to encourage others, young Christians, Father, to follow what God has placed for us in in Ephesians chapter 6. And as you do that, we're going to praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Now, one of the reasons, as as I just prayed, that I want to look at this, that we need to look at this, is one, we need to be reminded of these things. We We absolutely have to. If we just read through the Bible one time and says, well, that's it. By the nightstand, it can sit underneath my lampshade. And that's it. I've learned everything there is to know about God's word, and I never have to look at it again. We have to practice it. We have to be renewed in our mind. 
After all, the Apostle Paul told young Timothy, the young uh, preacher Timothy, he said, renew afresh the gifts that God has given you. And the only way you can do that is to be reminded of your gifts and to be reminded of the teachings of God's word. So a very simple message this morning should encourage us to not only practice these things even harder in our life, but also to be able to share them with the younger Christians in our life so that they know as well. And there's, as I said, there's four people here that, that Paul mentions, four groups of people or four different uh, uh, people that he mentions. And, of course, it's very obvious that when you look at it, he's talking to the children, he's talking to masters and slaves, and he's talking to fathers, uh, even the parents. But he's because the father is the head of the household, as Christ is the head of the church, that it's the father's responsibility. Ladies, I'm not taking any credibility away from you. I'm not taking anything away from you at all, but it's the men's responsibility. And men, listen clearly. It's time that we stood up and took responsibility in our homes and in our churches and in our communities for the love of Christ so that others know exactly who saves and who does not, and that is Jesus Christ. Amen? Men, listen to me closely. It is time that we stood up and took the church back and took the community back from Satan who's had it far long enough. For the sake of Christ and for the glory of God. There's four things, those four things, very simply, I want to look at those four groups of people. They're very simple rules that you've learned before, but we do need to be reminded. The first one is this, that, that, that children must be obedient. Christian children must be obedient. Now, we should expect an, an unchurched person or an unchurched child to be a little out of hand at times. Sometimes that happens. God's Word tells us not to be surprised when someone who is not a Christian Acts out. We shouldn't be surprised at these things. But God is talking to the to the the child at heart. Now, what I, what I'm saying here is, even as an adult, I'm still a child. Now, my parents have have gone on to be with Jesus. Now, both of them have. But I am still a child. I was a child for them, and and I'm also kind of a child to to a lot of people that are older than me. Some of you in here, all of you that are older than me, I look at you as a mother and father figure in my life, as a brother and sister in Christ, but as a mother and father figure in my life because you have a lot of encouragement you have a lot of experience that I can learn from and we should all remember that but Paul is teaching the children here he's telling them remember that you must obey your parents that you must honor your parents Paul was saying this to the children himself in the letter notice that he didn't tell the parents hey pass this message along to your children and in, in, in Sunday school when when you're having children's church during the service how about teach them this Paul was addressing the children specifically. Notice the language that he writes in verse 1. Children, he addresses them personally. He says, obey your parents in the Lord. That is an imperative statement. It wasn't a suggestion. It, it wasn't something that just came off the top of his head. He was addressing the children specifically. Now, after all, they were members of the church, correct? So why not address the children? We make it a point here at Holmes Avenue, as most churches do today, to address our children face to face, just as, as Trisha is doing right now, just as Harv and Janine do on Wednesday night with the teenagers and the students, we address them. And Paul was doing just that. He was dressing the children because there were some things that they needed to know. Paul's responsibility, uh, he was telling them this to themselves. Now, it's the parents' responsibility, first and foremost, to do this. But it was also Paul's responsibility as a preacher of the gospel to do some from a spiritual standpoint. 
After all, they were a part of the congregation, as I said. So it was Paul's responsibility, just as his brother Ed's and, and brother Fred's and, 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 and sister Janine and sister Kirsten. It's our job to nurture the younger children, the younger Christian uh, children, to, to nurture them. So Paul was also backing up what the children were saying. You, you know, sometimes you try to teach a child something and then your child might come home and repeat the same thing. Said, so, you know, my teacher told me the same thing. And you're like, yeah. Score one for the teacher, because what they're doing is they're solidifying what we're teaching them. And as the church, we should be solidifying what we're teaching at home. We should be backing one another up. We should be uh, teaching the same things and the same things consistently. So he says it. First of all, in verse one, he calls them children of the Lord. He, he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, I want to point that out because it's very important. He says to obey your, your, your parents in the Lord because the Christian parents are teaching them the right way, which is God's way, the righteous way. Now, notice that I said Christian parents. I didn't say unchristian parents or un, un, unchurched parents. Paul addresses them. And what he's saying is, is that these Christian children have had a background at some point. So their parents being the Christian people that they are, that you need to obey them. Now, of course, if your parent was to ask you to do something immoral or illegal, of course, you have no obligation to follow that. But if it was a Christian parent and they were truly saved, they wouldn't ask you to do something immoral in the first place. So he was addressing them, saying, obey your Christian parents. It is God's way uh, that they are obeying because their parents are teaching them righteousness. They're teaching them the right way to do things. Obeying the parents is the right thing to do, and therefore it pleases God. Look, look what else it says. He says, for this is right. The last part of verse 1. He says, this is the right thing to do. When you obey your parents in the Lord, it is the right thing to do. But notice he adds in the Lord. He wants everything to be done through Jesus Christ. Everything. You want to get to the Father? Obey your parents through Jesus Christ. If you want to get to the Father, please God through Jesus Christ is what he's saying. Everything is to go through Jesus Christ. So he was saying to the children, be obedient in the Lord. He's also telling them in the second part to do the right thing. Now, if it's God's way that they are obeying and that's what their parents were telling them, as he said, then what they're doing is they're actually obeying God's way because the parents... Young parents in here, we have an awesome responsibility to teach our children or your children the things of the Lord so that they know growing up what is righteous and what is not. And, and I'm telling you all this and you're probably saying, well, we already know this and I, I understand we all know this. But sometimes we just need to be reminded. So it, they were doing it for God if the, if the parents are teaching the right way. And in today's world, according to today's uh, ways and the way the world thinks... We could, we could try to write something like this. Parents, obey your children so it will make them happy. It's kind of a funny statement. But if you look around the world today, how often does it happen? Pretty often. Parents, obey your children so they might be happy. I, I don't want to scar my child by not giving them what they want. Uh, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to scar my child's mind by not letting him grab the hot pot on the stove. If I tell him no, it might scar his mind and he might think that everything's negative. But he also be, might, be, might be making a trip to the hospital. I mean, we have to protect our children. We, we, we can't do everything to make our children happy. And I'll get into that. 
The problem is, is that this way of thinking only leads to destruction in the family if we obey our children. Now, now listen to me, older parents. That goes for the older parents, too. If your child is grown and gone and they come back and, and, and they need some advice or they're doing something, it's up to us to correct them. Now, I, I know I've heard a lot of people make comments. I don't care how old I am. I'm still going to take you over my knee. I can be 80 years old. I'm going to take you over knee. And some of us have said that, and I think some of you mean it. But no matter how old your child gets, they still need our protection. They still need our warnings in Christ. It just has to happen. The problem with that way of thinking, it leads to destruction in the family. In, in the family. Children not only need parameters, but they want them. You know, a child wants you to give them parameters. A child doesn't want to be able to do whatever they want. A child truly needs to be told when a curfew is or how far they can go with this or how far they can go with that. How far that they can push mom or daddy. A child needs to know parameters and he needs to work within those parameters. And when the child gets outside of those parameters, then discipline sets in. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But first things first, children, obey your parents. Not only the children should obey their parents and do the right thing, as it says in verse 1, but in verse 2, it says that it's commanded. Children, it's commanded. Now, I'm talking from the child that's a baby on up to the oldest one in this room. It is commanded by the children to be obedient. Paul cites Exodus chapter 20 and verse 2. Listen to what he says in verse 2. He says, He says, honor your father and mother. And it says, which is the first commandment with a promise. Then that's a paraphrase that's kind of added. I won't say paraphrase. That's the wrong word. But it was added to the word of God. But he says, honor your father and your mother. Now, this is a direct quote from Exodus chapter 20. When Moses was given the Ten Commandments, it's the Fifth Commandment, if you're counting, and he gives them the Fifth Commandment, and it comes with a promise, what we'll look at in a moment, but he, he quotes Old Testament Scripture. So what Paul is doing is he's trying to tell them, this is not a new teaching, this is nothing new, this is what has been ordained of God since the beginning. Now, I want to be uh, uh, very clear here, Paul is not suggesting that we still are bound to the law. Of, of course, Jesus Christ came and, and he, he defeated that law. So I, I'm not suggesting, and Paul is not suggesting, that we are still bound to the law. What he is doing is he is pointing out the righteousness of the law. Because the law, it is still right. It is still the right thing to do. To honor your father and mother. So because it is the right thing to do, Paul repeats it here. And he says, honor your father and mother. And, and, and he, he's, he's quoting what Moses uh, had on the tablets that God wrote with his own finger and he took down to the Canaanites or to the Israelites before they went into the land of Canaan. So we are commanded to honor them. Now, I want to look at that word honor because it, it, it means so much more than what you see on the surface. And I want to point out three little things that this does mean. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot them down in your notes. I hope you got your notes this morning. But we are commanded to honor them. Now, within honor comes three things that I want to point out. Now, there's more to this than under, under each umbrella. There's a lot more to this. There's a lot more examples and a lot more illustrations. But for the sake of time, one, under the uh, umbrella of honor is to obey your parents, which is what we've been talking about, that we have to obey our parents. Now, this doesn't mean, parents, now listen to me close. It's, it's not just doing the dishes or cleaning your room. Children, it's not just that. Parents, it's not just do what I say. 
Go outside and clean the car out or wash my car. It's Saturday. You need to be outside and my car needs a good washing. It's deeper than that. It's deeper than that. It's, it's obeying your parents to stay within parameters that keep you safe, that keep you protected, that keep you fed, and that keep your provisions up so you don't ever have to want for anything. So it's obeying them in that, in that instance. Also, it, it also, being obedient also has to do with their behavior. How a child should act according to the authority of their mother or father. How to love and how to respect others. It falls into that as well. Now, parents, this doesn't mean that we get to take advantage of that. This doesn't mean, well, since I've been given authority of God, that I can take advantage of that with my child. We're going to get into that as well. So I've uncovered a lot of topics that I'm going to look at here in the very near future. So, but, but what he's saying is, is that we have to be obedient when he says, honor your mother and father. He also means that we're to love them. We're to love our parents. Regardless if we agree with their rules or their decisions, or sometimes when they slam the gavel down and place judgment on us and say, you've been found guilty of this. And how many times were we upset with mom because they handed down a punishment that we thought was too harsh, or they allowed us not to do something that we thought was harmless, but in their eyes they found out to be harmless. How many car accidents have our parents saved us from? I don't think we have any idea how many. How many times have they prevented us from doing something illegal because of their parameters and because of their rules? And we might have not liked them very much, but when we think back as adults, we realize what a safety net they were throwing over us by not allowing us to do or go certain places or do certain things. So children, we have to love our parents. Love your parents even when you don't agree. And if you don't agree with them, go to them in love and discuss it. Parents, explain it to them in love so they understand it. Open up a dialogue with your child. Children, open up a dialogue with your parents so that you can understand. Parents, it's no longer, and I was guilty of this very early in my marriage, because I said so. It doesn't work. It only wears your child out. It plays on their mind. They have no explanation as to why they're doing this, what it saves them from. They have, they have no reason behind it other than mama or daddy said so. We can't do that. The third thing that they need to do is respect their parents. We need to respect their person. We need to respect their work, that they work so hard for us. We need to respect their time. And we need to, to respect the efforts that they put forth to feed you, to clothe, provide for you, to keep you safe, to keep you fed, to keep you clothed. We have to respect them. That's all under the umbrella of honoring your parents. And the fourth thing that he talks about when being obedient, it's found in verse 3. That Christian children be obedient. It's the blessings of obedience. He, he moves into verse 3. And he's going to tell you what the blessings of that obedience are. You see, he says, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Now, this is another direct quote from Exodus chapter 20 in that fifth commandment. Remember, I I told you that there's a little note in there that says this is the first commandment with a promise. This is the promise. This is the part that God told Moses. If you honor your father and mother, he says in verse three, he's quoting it again. He says, there'll be, it will be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Now, we can turn that into, you mean God will prolong my days and give me a long, 
prosperous life. I'll live to be an old age. Not necessarily. We'll talk about that. Not necessarily. You see, uh, this was written by God in the Old Testament. It was written for the Jews when they had received the promise and they were about to enter into Canaan. They were about to enter into the promised land. And Paul is applying what they learned then. He's applying it to the Christians of that day in Ephesus. And he's also left it behind for the Christians today to understand and to live by. Paul is applying it to the Christians of his day, just as God applied it to Moses to apply to the people of Israel of their day. This does not mean that if a person dies at a young age, that they dishonored their mother or their father. That's not what that means at all. What it simply means is, is that if a person dies at a young age and they've honored their father and mother, then they have lived a full and prosperous life. And it's been a relatively easy one because the scripture says in verse three that he quotes that it may be well with you. If you honor your father and mother, things are going to go well for you. I'm not saying that you'll never be without problems and that you'll never be without discouragement. You'll never be without negativity in your life. You're you're, you're never going to have somebody not come up to you and, and say negative things to you or hateful and hurtful things to you. Bills are still going to be due. Responsibilities need to be met. Timelines need to be taken care of. But it says it would be well with you, that you would more than likely have a relatively easier life than most. And do you know why? Because you honored your mother and father. And when you honor your mother and father, you learn things. You gain experience before you even live them. And you know them. And you're less apt to make the same mistakes. And when you're less apt to make same mistakes, you're more apt to live a prosperous, full life. An easier life. And this is what God was trying to explain to them. It doesn't mean that if a person dies young that they dishonored their mother and their father. That's not what it means at all. What it means is that the two things. One, their life will be relatively easier than most. And number two, they will always have a home. Because what does he mention? He says that you, that you will live long on the earth. In the Old Testament, the, the word land is used, that you will have, your land will always be there. In other words, a person will always have a home. They'll always have a place that they can call home. God was applying this to the Canaanites, saying, this is land, it's always going to be yours. You need to honor your father and your mother. And that's what he was trying to explain to them. So please don't associate that with a person living a long life according to our own timeline and according to our parameters of what we know is time. Obeying Christian parents will teach the child how to live life easier and therefore be more successful. And that's what he had to say to the children in the church at Ephesus. And then he turns his attention to the to being obedient Christian fathers. And I want to look at what he says to the fathers. And these first two are really kind of in depth. So I'm really trying to take my time with these. He says in verse he says in verse uh, four. He says uh, in verse four, he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now, provoking children will only discourage them in Colossians chapter three, twenty one. This is what it says. You can put that up there for me, please. In Colossians did. I, I did not. I am sorry. I did not give those notes. I, I apologize. And in Colossians three, twenty one, this is what it says. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children so that they will not lose heart. Now, losing heart is discouraged. It's being discouraged. So if a child becomes discouraged because you're provoking them, then what's the opposite of what's the opposite action of provoking encouragement? So we have to encourage our children, not provoke them. 
We have to encourage them as parents. We have to encourage them to do the right thing, to make the right decision, to go to the right place, to do the right thing. Losing heart is discouragement. During this time, and I want to explain to you what I mean, and I'm a real life scenario that once happened. Thank goodness it doesn't happen anymore, but my fear is that the way the laws are and the way the culture is today and society is today, that it may get back to this or some form of this. But a very real scenario, when a Roman family had a child, the father had a very important decision to make. And that decision could bring guilt upon his mind so severe for the rest of his life that he would not want to live. That decision could bring anguish upon the mother of the child that could make her go insane. And it could also bring death to a child based on the father's one decision. And this is why Paul approached the fathers and talked specifically to the fathers. When a child was born into a Roman family, the child was laid before the father. And if the father would pick the child up and care for that child and hug that child, the child was accepted in the family. It would become a part of the family. If the father did not pick the child up, that was a sign that the child was rejected from the family. I know this is very disturbing. I see the look on some of your faces, and it's very disturbing. However, the child could be sold to another family. It could be given to another family. It could be adopted. Or worse, if no one wanted the child, it would be left to the elements and eventually die. It's, it's sad to think about it. But it was true. And it was legal. Under Roman law, it was legal. And he addresses the fathers. And he says, don't provoke them in any way. He says, bring them up in the, in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. What I'm saying to you is this. And what Paul is trying to teach the fathers here, and the reason I use that example, is because fathers, we can use the authority given to us for the wrong reason. That will lead to a child into unrighteousness. That could lead a child to death. Worse, a spiritual death if they grow up without knowing God. Without knowing Christ as their Savior, they'll face a spiritual death for all of eternity. Not just a physical death as we just learned about. Paul was saying, please don't misuse your authority. Use your authority to teach your children the ways of righteousness and to bring glory to the Father. And to know Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. And to understand what he did at the cross for them. Just as, as, as adults we need to know. So we have to encourage the children. And Paul was also telling them in verse 4 that they need to nurture the children. That they need to raise them up in the ways of God. None of us today would even fathom giving up our child in such a horrid, hard way. Some people make bad choices and bad decisions. But they, they do the best for the child to provide it a good home. And thank goodness the laws have changed. But when we keep that child, when we, when we take responsibility of that child, it's not over. We need to nurture that, that child. We need to nurture them. We need to raise them up in the ways of righteousness, righteousness. Nurture is nurturing the child. Now, if you were to give a child from birth junk food all of its life, what would happen to that child? Child would be overweight and it would face a plethora of health issues, wouldn't it? It would be, it would be, 
heartbreaking to watch the child go through a young life. If you gave the child what they wanted all the time. If you gave the child potato chips and soda all day long and you never provided them with a healthy, nutritious meal through vegetables, meal through vegetables and meats and fruits and having a very balanced diet. Why would we do that to them spiritually? If we wouldn't, if we couldn't fathom doing it to them physically, why would we do it to them spiritually? And Paul is trying to teach the fathers that you're to nurture the children. That's the language he uses. He says, don't provoke them to anger, but bring them up. Bring them up to nurture them, to teach them. What are they to give them? You're to give the child love. You're to give the child respect. You're to give the child honor back. You're to teach the child right from wrong. You're to teach the child how to do the right thing according to God's word. Obviously, they had God's Old Testament word because Paul just quoted from it. And the parents that wanted their children to know the truth were teaching them just that. And the times that they were living in just then, they were teaching against the, the, the Roman authority to be able to reject a child. They were teaching them the right ways to do things. Just because the law says it's okay to do something in civil court does not make it morally right. And you have to look no farther than abortion to figure that one out. The law says it might be legal, but it doesn't make it morally right in the eyes of God. It is outright murder. And for anyone listening on the internet, please... Please reconsider anything that you might do to a child that would cost that child's un- that life, that unborn child. So we need to nurture the children. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. He will not depart from the righteousness that he's been told. Now, here's the tough one. We also need to discipline our children. Even God disciplined us. We need, I said earlier, and I said I would get to it. Children need parameters. They need a box that they need to live in that they can't cross those lines. I'm not talking about a box where they're not free to think on their own. I'm talking about parameters on where they can go, what they can do, and how much they can get away with. A child needs that in their life. Not only do they need it, they want it. And when they don't have it, they'll recognize it. They'll tell you up front, I want to be able to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, and I want to do it under my own my own counsel, my own wisdom, and I I just want to be free to do whatever I want. And they'll tell you that up front, but as soon as their life starts to fall apart, they're going to wish and want parameters in their life. Children, our parents, we have to give that to them. We have to discipline them. Even God disciplines the Christian, the believer. Hebrews 12, 6 says, For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. Why? Because we need it, because we love Him. Because he loves us. In the book of Proverbs, it says, it says that he who spares the rod hates the child. Now, we have a cliche now in this day and time that says spare the rod, spoil the child. Completely unbiblical. It's a misquote from the book of Proverbs. God's word says to spare the, the rod means that you hate the child. In other words, if you don't give that child parameters and discipline, you don't truly love that child and want the best for their future. <clears throat> and God himself says in Hebrews 12... Uh, verse 6, that he disciplines us. Discipline is a part of nurturing a child. It's a part of teaching a child the difference between righteous and unrighteous. Again, children need disciplines. Parent, start today. Start today. We also need to instruct the children. This absolutely begins at home. 
This absolutely begins at home. He says to bring them up in the discipline and what the instruction of the Lord. So we, we, we have to understand this. And the next two points will go very quickly because I want to touch on them very quickly. But I want to spend a lot of times because in, in, the, in the relationship between the parent and the child, that family structure that God has set up, the whole world hinges on that relationship between the child and the parent, especially the child and the father. And, and if we trace the world's problems back, just about all of them will come back to the family structure of where it was and how the child was raised. Now, now the last thing that I want to look at here about the children <coughs> is that we absolutely have to start instruction at home. How many of you in this church are upset that prayer was taken out of the schools in the 60s? Raise your hand. How many of you have complained about church, even if you don't remember the 60s? I was born in the late 60s, so I don't quite remember it. I didn't go to Woodstock. I didn't do any of those things. I didn't have a, a, a VW van with flowers all over it and a peace sign. I, I didn't do any of those things. I'm not asking you to raise your hand if you did, by the way. You keep answering. How many of you don't like that, that it happened in the 60s? How many of you, show of hands, how many of you don't like it? You know what we do? We complain all the time. They took prayer out of school. But how many times have we thought, you know what, if they took prayer out of school, that just means we need to do it more at home, right? Come on, Brother Richie, that's the best shot at amen you get all day, man. I'm giving you your own personal shot at amen. I love you, brother. I don't mean to point you out. It starts at home. We're upset at, at the lawmakers for taking it out of school when we should be doing that at home in the first place. I, I had the school call, uh, uh, um, send a letter home with my child one time that, her and another child was reading the Bible at lunchtime and that this was not allowed. And being me, I just called the school district. I just went right over the school and I said, this is absolutely wrong. Uh, if it's her free time and it's legal to have a Bible in school, why is she not allowed to do it? I was called with the principal from the principal the next day with an apology that my daughter and the other girl that she was uh, reading the Bible with is actually my daughter's best friend. She's actually getting married in a couple of weeks and, and so proud of her. Lauren, if you're, if you ever get to see this, I'm so proud of you, sweetheart. Thank you. And God bless you for the woman you've turned out to be. But she, they were reading the Bible at school and, and all they could do was, we gotta get that out of here. But it started at home because we were reading the Bible. She wanted to take that to school. It absolutely starts at home. As Christians, we have an obligation to help raise other children as well. Brian, I don't, I don't want you to have to be able to raise Noah and, and Miranda and, and Adeline all by yourself. I want you to have my help, and I want you to have Walter's help. I want you to have Harv's help. I want you to have Michael's help and Alyssa's help. I want you to have everybody solidifying what you're teaching at home to solidify that here in the church. And we're called to do just that, to instruct the children. But we must not leave it up to our teachers we just must not leave it up solely to our Sunday school teachers or our youth pastors or our children's ministers. We must start that at home. I know a few, a few uh, children that will come to church and teach the adults some things. And you know who they are. You can say amen to that. And let's look at the last two things and I'll close. He addresses two more groups of people. One is the Christian servants. He uses the word slaves because that's exactly what they were. 
This was an issue of the day. Unfortunately, it's still an issue today. It's estimated that upwards of nearly 50 million people in the world today are known slaves. I can't, I can't imagine what the number is that we don't know about, which I'll refer to as the dark market. And the sex slavery and child slavery that's undocumented. I, I can't fathom what that number would be. <clears throat> I'm not saying it's right. In fact, the Bible, as an underlying teaching, speaks against the act of slavery and treating people the wrong way. It doesn't directly address the issue, but the underlying teachings are against it. This was an institution of that day. It was legal and it was accepted during that day. I'm not trying to, to, to put it in present day into a present day scenario. I believe it's wrong, it's negative, and it oppresses people. But Paul was sent to change, Paul was not sent to change the institutions or the, the laws of the Roman government. People say, if Paul didn't agree with the slavery, why didn't he do something about it? Because Paul was an evangelist, he was not a politician. We need to get that, we need to understand that right away. I have people that have wanted to get involved in this. I want you to get involved and, and go to these city council meetings. I want you to get involved and come to the state. I am not a politician. I don't, I don't understand all of the law. I don't understand all the processes. God has called me to preach the word of God, not to be a politician. I have no problem with preachers getting involved in politics. I have no problem with it at all if that's their calling. It's just not Troy's calling. Paul, it wasn't his calling. He was a, an evangelist. He was a preacher. However, what Paul did in his speaking against slavery and, and trying to teach the right way to go about slavery, what he did was he assisted in the slavery coming to an end because of his teachings on how God approached it and, and his teachings on how God saw it. So he might not have been an activist up front, but he did, through his teachings, tell them the proper way to do it, which helped bring an end to slavery. And it was an issue of that day. The modern day servant, if we look at the modern day servant of the slave, the closest we can today is the employer and the employee. We have the, the, the employee being the servant or the slave, and we have the master that we're going to look at being more the employer. And, and the closest, that's the closest we deal with it today. But these principles still apply in this world today in between the employee and the employer. The, serv, the, the supervisor or the boss or whatever you want to call them, whatever your company calls them, must instruct the employee, and the employee should respect and honor his instructions. The employee should do the right thing. Well, boss, I don't agree with you. And I think that's the dumbest decision I've ever heard. It's disrespectful, it's dishonoring, and the work doesn't get done. It's a, if it's a mistake, it's a mistake that the supervisor made. If it's putting somebody's life in danger, he needs to be made known of it. But he doesn't need to be disrespected because he may know something that you do not. And by the way, sometimes pastors know things that you do not. And we make decisions based on that, and sometimes they come back to bite us, but we still have to do the right thing with the knowledge that we have. And it's not to be done to hurt anybody, but just because we have different knowledge. And the master, as we look at that, which was the, the last and final thing, and Van, you can come forward if you will. He addresses the Christian masters, and he says, the Christian master has some responsibilities, 
And I want you to go back and I want you to read the text and, and look at it as far as the, the slave and the master. But the Christian master must do several things. And it's found in verse 9. It says, and masters do the same. Do the same things to your slaves, to your servants. And give up threatening, knowing that both their masters and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. We must realize that the servant is to do everything for the Lord first and it will please the master. And then we have to understand that everything that the master does should be for God first and then it will please the servant. It will, it will please the, the, the employee. A couple of to see that the master must do to take care of people under him. He must care for the welfare of the servant. It's, it's just not giving him good pay and making sure he has an hour lunch break every day. How are his benefits? How is he treated while he's at work? Is he given the opportunity to take breaks? Is he given an opportunity to get out of the heat? It is the responsibility of the master to look out for the person that's working for them. To look after their welfare, not just at work. Is their family being taken care of? Are they able to make it? Do they have enough vacation time? Do they have enough sick leave? It is the responsibility of the master to make sure these things are done for the welfare of the servant. He must give no empty threats. One of the practices that used to go along on a long time ago, which I disagreed with, never agreed with it, is I want you to reprimand this person, and when you sit down and talk with them, I want you to tear it up and throw it in the garbage. That's an empty threat and only teaches the, the servant to act out again. There's no empty threats. You talk with someone, if they don't adhere, then you take action. And this is, these are parameters to work by. Don't mean to sound rough, but it's God's structure. He also must be no respecter of persons. You can't be a boss and like people uh, better than other people. Can't happen. Now, it might be true. You might like the way this person does their work, or, but you can't show that. You, you cannot show partiality. And the last word that Paul says here is that there's no partiality with God. There's none whatsoever. In fact, in Acts, 10, Acts chapter 10, verse 34, listen to what Peter says. When Peter opened his mouth, he said, I most certainly understand now that God is... Is no respecter of persons. He treats everyone the same. Each one of us have the same rules and the same guidelines. And if we, if we disobey those guidelines, we all have the same punishment. He must be committed. And, and lastly, the master must be committed to God first. If you're not committed to God first, your servants will never be satisfied. Ever. Why are you telling me this? I'm, 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 I'm old in age and I, I'll never have anybody working for me. You could have somebody come working in your flower bed, cleaning your pool, cleaning your house, mowing your lawn. It doesn't matter. You're to look out for them. They're working for you. Remember what Paul is trying to teach them. To do the right thing. But everything that he was teaching them is how Jesus, Jesus treated everyone. And you might say, how does this come back to the cross? How does this connect in the cross to the cross in any way? Because this is what Jesus did. This is how he treated others. He taught them. He worked with them. He nourished them. He was respectful to them. Even in their sin, he was respectful. And he pointed them to their sin. He never condemned anyone while he was here. Because he said in John 3.17... You've been condemned already. There's no reason for him to do it and to point it out. 
You know you're condemned. You have sin in your life. If you're not saved, you already know it. I don't have to point it out to you. You already know. If you're struggling in your faith and you are a Christian, you already know because you're being convicted of it. And as we close today, I want you to think about those two things. Am I truly saved? Do I truly know Christ? Do I truly treat people this way? And if I don't, I need to correct that. And if you find yourself answering the question, I don't even think I'm a, I don't even know that I'm a, that I'm saved in the first place. Ask yourself that very important question. And before we leave, I would love for you to come talk to me about it. Or Brian, or Walter, or Michael, or anybody in here that you know is a Christian. 